title is Whale, Whale Song. Did anyone get to see the movie at the um, Hearst Castle that was playing about whales? Who saw that? Okay, a few of you did. Yeah, it's pretty impressive photography and really fascinating uh, things about, about whales and the sounds they make. Uh, when we were a few years back snorkeling in Hawaii, when you're down underwater, you could actually hear uh, the whales. It's really fascinating. And at first, you know, I thought it was, I don't know what I thought it was, but what's the sound? And come back, I think, that's, I think we're actually hearing whales. It's quite incredible. But not near as incredible as the whale song that we're going to uh, read today. Uh, this book has just been on my mind. And uh, a couple days ago, uh, Heather and I went out kayaking. And we got some old kayaks off of Craigslist. And we've only taken them in the bay so far. But then this weekend, we went in the open sea. And uh, down to the dinosaur caves, down uh, Shell Beach. Anyway, we were out kind of past the breaks, and I was just looking out at the vast sea and trying to, for a moment, just forget about the shore behind me and just imagine, you know, what if, what if that was every direction? <laughs> you know, what if, you're, what if you're Jonah and you get chucked out of the boat and then you see your only hope kind of keep sailing and keep sailing till it drifts off the horizon and you're just treading water? treading water, eventually you tire, (laughs) you you start taking on water, eventually you start to sink, and maybe your lungs fill with water, and you you just can't imagine how hope could break in. You can't imagine there uh, being a solution. (laughs) You've just given up all hope. You've just resigned there's no way out of this. Probably you haven't been in that exact situation, but maybe it's a, a health crisis. How do I, what do I do? I don't see any way out of this. Maybe it's health crisis of someone you, you love. Maybe it's a, a family crisis or a, a marriage crisis or a financial crisis where your last hope is kind of going over the horizon. You just kind of see it disappear and you're still treading water. That's what, that's what Jonah was doing. That's what he experienced. And so I think today's, uh, today's theme or main idea is when you're tempted to lose hope, just cry out to God. And we're going to see that uh, just in several ways in this passage. Cry out to God no matter how desperate it looks. So here's kind of what's happening. Chapter 1 started this sort of, uh, it's a sort of a satire of a book. You know, the, the author... Um, really makes himself look terrible, uh, because, because he was, and he was totally shown up in his spirituality by, by uh, the pagan sailors who didn't even know God. Uh, we saw that God says, go, and Nineveh, no, I mean, Geneva, bleh, Jonah does what? God says, go to Nineveh, and Jonah, he hides, or he runs the other way. You can tell I had my cup of coffee, I'm... Bleh. I'll try to breathe. The, the pagans, they're praying in the boat while the man of God sleeps. The man of God says he's a worshiper of God at the same time he's hiding from God. The pagans pray to the true God, Yahweh, while the man of God, we never see him pray in chapter 1 at all. And the book, uh, the first chapter ends with the pagans worshiping God while the man of God is just treading water. And so this is kind of what's happened so far in the book and we saw last week that what this first chapter does for us is it really shook up Jonah's hierarchy. 
and it shakes up ours, where he saw, well, there's God up here, and then there's me, the man of God, and then there's, you know, the average Joe unbeliever, and then there's like, oh, those terrible people way off there. And Jonah 1 shakes that all up and says, no, it, it's not really like that. God cares about all those people. And so that was kind of a, a mind-blown experience for Jonah and hopefully for some of us. So then it turns the corner as we get to chapter 2, um, where Jonah never prayed in chapter 1. Chapter 2, is the whole thing is a prayer of Jonah. In chapter 1, we see the sailors making vows and worshiping. In chapter 2, Jonah is the one making vows and worshiping. In chapter 1, Jonah's left to die. <laughs> in chapter 2, he's rescued. And in chapter 1, Jonah ran from the presence of the Lord. The last thing he wanted was to be in the Lord's presence. He's doing all he can to hide. And in chapter 2, it's what he longs for above all is the Lord's presence. So what changed? <laughs> what changed between the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2? Well, well, we see. I'd like to read it for you. It's the last couple verses of chapter 1 and the first verse of chapter 2. We'll, we'll be in, in Jonah today, which is on page 774 in those, those pew Bibles, if there's one near you. Jonah 1, starting in 15, says this. So they, this is the sailors, they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raving. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And the Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and for three nights. That's how we, we leave him in chapter 1. And then chapter 2 starts, Then Jonah, he prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. So what's the big change from chapter 1 to chapter 2, where chapter 1, Jonah is just doing everything wrong, is very pathetic. In chapter 2, he's crying out to the Lord. Well, he had this near-death experience, and he started praying. And uh, those things combined make a great, great, great change in somebody's life. So uh, this, this psalm, it's, it's like a psalm prayer of Jonah, um, and it reads like a lot of the other psalms in the Bible do. It's, it's poetic and has these parallel, uh, parallel lines that, that say kind of the same thing in two different ways. Um, there's also this interesting thing that happens in this psalm is uh, this fluid changing. Now, that fluid is not pun intended either. I keep saying these things that seem so like ocean related. But there's this fluid change from first or second person to third person talking about God. Jonah is saying, uh, he's, he's addressing God, and then in the next moment, he's talking about God. And I, I noticed that a lot of our, um, our current worship songs, you know, new worship songs, do the same thing. Um, I think I might have one here. How Great Is Our God is one of many where it says, name above all names, you are worthy of all praise, addressing God. And then the very next sentence and my heart will sing how great is our God. It's, it jumps to third person. Um, well, my sister, hope she's not listening to this, um, she, she was complaining about modern worship songs doing that, and so I just, I was on Facebook, and I just dropped a little thing. It's like, yeah, this must be an old problem because David kept doing that too uh, in the Bible. But this, so anyway, it has these characteristics of, of a psalm. And what it is is it's uh, Jonah's prayer to the Lord. It's, it's his thoughts from inside the fish. Uh, most likely it was written afterwards as he's reflecting on, you know, this, this profound experience 
wow, here's the things that were just swirling in my head when I was in the fish, when I was crying out to God, and he, and he composes it in a way that, that we, we can all apply to, to our lives as well. So in this, um, in this short uh, chapter, this psalm of Jonah, uh, we get five reasons why it's, why it's a really, really good idea to cry out to the Lord when we're at the end of our rope. In times of trouble, in difficult times, when, when we see our last hope kind of going over the horizon, I, I don't know how to get out of this, call on the Lord. Sometimes I think we're hesitant to call on the Lord because we think, well, uh, where was he when I got in this mess? So why would I call on him now? Or does he really hear? Or will this really work? I'm going to try something else. And maybe these things just go through our heads, but Jonah says, no, it makes all the sense in the world, even in your darkest time, even in your lightest time, is to call on the name of the Lord. So we're going to look at five reasons this morning. Uh, right out of uh, Jonah chapter 2. And the first is, cry out to God because he hears and answers. Well, that's straightforward enough. The song starts out like this in verse 2. I know it's not technically a whale song, but it's a song from inside a great ocean creature, so it's close enough. And it says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress... And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Again, not a word of prayer from Jonah in chapter 1, even though God himself is talking to Jonah. But now he intensely cries out to the Lord. We see these parallel lines. I called to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Sheol is, is the place of the dead, you know, the... The, un- the underworld, the pit that you don't return from. You know, these are kind of um, nebulous terms a little bit, not necessarily theological terms. It's like saying he was as good as dead. There's no hope. He's written off. But Jonah says, I was as good as dead, and you rescued me. So why call on God? And it says it twice here. He answered, you heard my voice. So we call on God because he's there. He's listening to us. He's answering us. He's answering us from the deepest, darkest places, from death row, from skid row, from the hospital bed, from the waiting room, the courtroom, the loneliness of your own home, your own world. God hears and he answers your cry. And that is a great comfort to me. And it's the first of many reasons that we should turn to him is because He's paying attention, and he's listening to us. Before, Jonah, he thought he could get away from God just by going to a different location. And he tried real hard to get away from God. But now, where it seems impossible, the most remote place in the world, he calls out to God, and even there, God is with him. And I think it's appropriate that we look again at at Psalm 139. These are some verses from the middle, starting uh, verse 7. To verse 12, where the psalmist says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're already there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, like Jonah was, even there your hand shall lead me 
and your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely this darkness will cover me, the light about me be night, even the darkness, it's not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is light with you. The Lord is not so remote. He's right next to you, even in your most, even in your most ridiculous place. When you seem uh, the most alone, when you seem the most far away, God is right there with you, and he sees and he cares. Well, this might be just a little silly, but I used to work at a, a silk plant store where they, we sold you know, artificial arrangements. Um, it was in a mall, so that's two strikes against me. And, uh, but it had these big glass uh, windows all around, and uh, especially certain times of the day, you couldn't see in at all. But, uh, but I could see out just fine. In fact, once, I, I wasn't going to tell this part, but it happened, so I will, is uh, I, I glued a quarter to the ground outside of, um, <laughs> outside of the shop uh, and then just kind of watched people as they went by and, you know, someone would try to pick it up. This is a long time ago. I've, I've changed. Um, but the point of this is, you know, people would walk by, you know, even when the quarter's not there, and they would, they would kind of primp in the, in the mirror and, it's like they were alone in the world, and I'm just standing there just a few feet away, and they're totally visible to me. And I, I know it's a little silly, but, but we got to understand that it's kind of like that with, with God. We think, oh, it's just, it's just me here. Nobody, nobody can see. I'm, I've been totally abandoned, and, and he's just right there. I, I see you. <laughs> I'm listening. I hear you. I'm with you. Not in some kind of uh, sadistic way like my story, but, but in a in a caring way. In your dark place of trouble and guilt and grief, God sees and God hears. And this is why we call on the Lord. Okay, second reason. Why cry out to God in difficult times? Cry out to God because he is sovereign in your circumstances. The next verse says this, uh, verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Notice he says, he's talking to God, and he says, you cast me, where chapter one, who does it say threw him into the ocean? Yeah, the sailors. Here he's like, no, actually, ultimately, this was something God was up to. He says, your waves, your billows, and in this, in this time of reflecting on these events, he says, okay, I see God's hand all over this thing. God is sovereign, which means he's ultimately in control. He's master. He's Lord uh, of all these things. Not just like chess pieces that he's just kind of moving around, you know, on a whim, but, but, but he's ultimately is the, the master, and he's in control. He was not asleep or uninterested when your life unraveled. So that makes total sense to call on him in your time of need. So what is going on? What is God up to? Sometimes, you know, perhaps it is chastening, like it was with Jonah. God said, do this. Jonah did this. God says, no, 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 no. <laughs> Try this. <laughs> uh, chastening. Perhaps it's, it's just an, an awakening. God is, is bringing you through something, walking through something really difficult with you to uh, just to open your eyes and perspective and grow you and stretch you. I, I just love this quote. It's probably one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. 
when he says um, pain insists on being attended to. You know, you can't ignore it when something hurts. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. You know, when we, when we ignore the whispers and ignore the conscience, sometimes God has something really important to say to us, and, and, and it hurts. But perhaps it's less to do with you and it's more to do with uh, God's bigger plan. He's doing things that are just way bigger and beyond you. And sometimes we just need to come to grips with that. Like, oh, God was in control and maybe, the, uh, maybe I'm not the center of this story. Maybe the plot doesn't really revolve around me and so I shouldn't uh, get too uptight. Or perhaps what's going on is God just wants you to cling to him. I think sometimes when my kids were young, I'm still telling all these sadistic things I've done, but you know, you just drop them just a little bit, just, and then and then they cling tight to you, and it's it's like, oh, that's the hug I was looking for. Um, again, God's not like me, but but picture that with a totally pure heart. God's sovereignty gives us such a good reason to pray, but it also it, it shapes our prayers when we realize, yeah, God is in control. He's the master. He's got a plan. It, it forms the way we talk to him and about him. And I just couldn't help returning to Mark 14 that we looked at uh, right before Easter, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus says, Abba, Father, he prays to God the Father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, but please remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He calls out to the Father, this is terrible. If there's another way, take this away. I know you can do it, but ultimately, I want what you want. That, that needs to be our prayer. I came across this this week in the, the Valley of Vision, uh, just wonderful prayers. And the last paragraph um, or stanza of one of the prayers says, if it be consistent with your eternal counsels and the purpose of your grace, and the great ends of your glory, you know, if all this is true, then bestow upon me the blessings of your comforts. If not, let me resign myself to your wiser determination. Yeah, what a prayer. It's like, God, this thing is terrible. You know, if it's, if it's good for you, then take this away. I know you can. If it's not part of your plan, then I know that you're wiser than I am, and you know what I really, really need. So, just being aware of God's sovereignty, it shapes the way we talk to God and about God. I don't know if you've heard of Horatio Spafford. Anybody? Big fans? Okay, I see heads nodding. This is amazing. <laughs> He's a wealthy businessman. This is the late 1800s. Devout Christian. Uh, in a short amount of time, he lost his son. He lost his, his fortune, a lot of it, in the Chicago fire. And uh, he just needed some time with his family to rest, and they planned this trip over uh, to, uh, to Europe. And uh, he put his wife and four daughters on a boat, and the boat uh, collided and sunk. Um, he was planning to go with them, but he had to stay behind because of business. And so um, many people were lost. Some, some made it. He gets this telegram from Wales several days later that just says, from his wife, it says, saved alone like she's the only one that made it his four girls died he just lost his son he just lost his his fortune 
And those of you who know who he is know him because he wrote uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And he, he probably wrote that over the same kind of area of the ocean as he was going to, to catch up and meet his wife. Some of the words say this. I don't know. I think, um, Monir, I think something, I lost connection. Perfect. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. There you go. You can just edit that out of the recording. Perfect. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when the sorrows like sea billows roll, just these sorrows crashing over the wave imagery again at sea, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, and it's just unbelievable, it is well, it is well with my soul. How, how incredible that, that perspective of faith. Say, God, you're in charge. This is more terrible than I could, I could bear. I don't think I could do this, but, but it's well with my soul. And we, we could say that. If it is well with your soul, it, it needs to be. You need to, to have uh, Christ as your, your master. So when difficulty strikes, we first acknowledge that God is in control, even of this. Know that he's at work. He's doing something with you. He's doing something in you. He's doing something for you, and we need to, to trust that. Okay, third reason. Third reason that we need to just cry out to God even when it's the most hopeless kind of situation because he alone ultimately saves. Verse 4 says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your heavenly or your holy temple. So again, before he was trying to avoid God, his greatest grief now is separation from God. His greatest hope is to worship once again. And so then he goes on to recount his near-death experience and this entirely unexpected rescue. Like, no one could have guessed that that was going to happen. That's for sure. Five and six says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This imagery of going under for the last time. You know, choking for that last breath, and then you just can't tread water anymore and start sinking. Inhaling water just involuntarily, and just, it's it. That's, that's the end. He's describing this. Wrapped up in seaweed. I don't know if anyone's been tangled in, in stuff when you're swimming. It's frightening. All this is just totally terrifying. And then in absolute desperation, he then says, Yet yeah, you, God, you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. See, God is ultimately the one who can rescue you. He can rescue you in the way that you need to be rescued. And so the turning point in verse 7 says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. So again, when did things flip-flop? Is when he began to cry out to the Lord, recognize his own desperation and saying, God, you're all I have. Help. You're the king. Forgive me for running and hiding before 
but now you're all I want. You're all I need. It's interesting, he says to, the prayer will come to you in your, in your holy temple. Um, perhaps this is the heavenly temple where God resides, or, or you might be talking about the temple in, in Jerusalem. Um, it's interesting, in, in the book of First Kings, when Solomon is, de- Solomon is dedicating the temple to the Lord, um, it's this long passage where he describes, uh, he's talking to God and to the people, and he describes where wherever the Israelites are, wherever the people of God are scattered around, if all these things happen, if they turn and look toward the temple, they put their minds on the temple back in Jerusalem, and then God will hear and respond to their prayers from heaven. It, it's not like God's stuck in that temple somewhere. He, he's in heaven and he's everywhere. But it's this symbolic of, oh, if they turn their attention back to the Lord and the place of the Lord and the Lord's house. Um, here's just a few verses from the middle of that, uh, that dedication speech. If they, you know, these people that wander off and do these things, if they pray toward this place, the temple, and they acknowledge your name, and they turn from their sin, this is what Jonah was doing, when you afflict them, which was happening to Jonah, then hear in heaven and forgive the sins of your servants. And so this is what was taking place for Jonah, and it's what can take place for us as well. No matter how far we've run, we look back to God and say, I want to come home. (laughs) Um, Please forgive me. I need you. I love that we have such direct access to the God of the universe. Anytime, anywhere. He, He doesn't put us off and like, oh, no, you'll have to come back later. It's nothing like that. I have not bought a car off a lot for a really, really, really long time. But when I was a kid, I went with my dad. We were buying some car. And, uh, and back then, they had this routine of, you know, you talk to somebody, and then you, know, you kind of get a deal. Well, I need to go talk to my boss, you know, to see if that's going to work. And he goes back, and you just picture him playing foosball or something for 10 minutes and then coming back and like, yeah, so no, we're, you know, we'll have to. And goes back and forth. But it's not like that with God. You have direct access to the guy who makes the calls, to the guy who can do something about it, to the master, to the king. He says, come into my throne room, pull up a chair, because uh, Christ's blood has covered you and made you a child, and now you have just total access to the God of the universe. So we cry out to God because he's ultimately the one who could do something about our situation. If we had time, we could go through this room and hear story after story of how things were falling apart. Someone called on the Lord, and the Lord delivered. In some way, maybe not how we expected, maybe not even what we wanted, but, but he did. We could hear stories of, of, uh, of marriages being repaired that seemed desperate and done with, of, of health situations turned around, or reputations destroyed, and then, then God working in the midst of that relationships that were over and God, God working. We could go around and we could hear the stories. This, this happens all the time. God is doing this still. He ultimately saves. Okay, number four, which we're already there. Four, cry out to God because he loves you. <laughs> I love this. Verse eight, those who pay regard to vain idols, their problem is that they forsake their hope of steadfast love. Vain idols, anything we, we cling to besides Christ, 
And when we're desperate, there's all kinds of things we want to cling to. Sometimes that means we drink too much because we don't have to think as much about the hurt. Or, or maybe it's we just keep ourselves busy or maybe we entertain lust or we're workaholics or we overspend or overeat or whatever it is. We like grab onto these other things because it just hurts so much. And, and they're empty. They don't work. <laughs> they're ultimately just a, a vapor, which is what vain means. It's like without result, it's a breath. You know, it's just, it, it's nothing. And the reason it's such a problem is that by seeking these other things, we're forsaking the one who really loves us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. It's hard uh, translating languages sometimes when there's not really a direct corollary. And, and hesed, this uh, Hebrew word for love, is definitely one of those where it's more describing a, a, covenant, um, a covenant of mercy kind of love. So it's not a, a love like a love at first sight. <laughs> and it's not a love based on how valuable something is. Like, ooh, that's really amazing. I just love it. But it's a love based on a covenant relationship that God has made with his children. He loves you no matter what. It's a steadfast love that never ends. Um, Romans 8 describes this so well. When Paul says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from that steadfast love of God. So when life falls apart, <laughs> we're tempted to run in all these different directions. Run to the one who loves you, <laughs> who loves you unconditionally, who loves you because he's made a covenant with you. In your darkest hour, he's the one who cares. When I was maybe high school, this saying, well, I hear it pop up now occasionally, but there's this saying that would go around of uh, real snarky of, uh, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. Uh, Travis Tritt decided to write a song about it. Um, this, this mindset of like, you know, don't talk to me about this. God's not like that. He's the one who cares. And, it, and it's free. <laughs> it doesn't even cost a... A quarter. I have no idea what a, a, a call is now on a payphone, but or if they even exist. But um, God is there. He's listening. He cares, and He loves you. Okay. Finally, cry out to God because He's worthy of worship. Verse nine says this: "But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay." Salvation belongs to the Lord. Again, chapter 1 ends with the sailors worshiping and Jonah treading water, but now chapter 2 ends with Jonah certainly worshiping the Lord and, uh, and making good on his, his vows to the Lord. In your trial, keep giving thanks. There's always something. You don't have to thank the Lord for your trial, but thank Him in the midst of it. In your trial, keep your vows. Uh, Jonah says, you know, what I vowed I will pay. Follow through on your commitments to the Lord. 
in the midst of your difficulty, don't withdraw from Christian fellowship. Keep, keep serving others where you can. Keep, keep feeding on his word that will sustain you. Give, give what you can. Maintain integrity. Keep your, your vows to your family. Just keep on placing yourself in Christ's hands. And, and above all, keep praying. <laughs> keep calling out to God. Keep crying out to God because he is so, so worthy of worship. Why is he worthy of worship? Well, because he hears and answers you. He's sovereign in your circumstances. He's the one who saves. He loves you so much. See, that's why he's, he's worthy of all of our worship. See, God, you are, you are amazing. Even, I'm sorry I've made this problem about me. I want to look and see, God, you are great even in the midst of this. Sometimes it takes a difficult time in our lives to remind us that God really is everything. Sometimes, he, sometimes he's all we have, and so we call on him. This kind of challenge as we finish today is when you're at the end of your rope, you, you got nothing else, reach out for the hand of God. He's, he's not going to drop you. He, he's got you. This is what Jonah experienced. He found to be true, and he wrote a song about it uh, that, uh, that we can relate to. Anyone could relate to who's been through a difficult time and seen the Lord work in, in our lives. And so we, we cry out to him, and we give him thanks, and we love him back for his loving us first. And uh, this, I think, is the message of Jonah chapter 2.